Hey yo, it's the legendary DJ Marley Marl. Alongside Kali Bond. Right now you're checking out the Legendized Podcast. On this podcast, we go beyond the origin stories of hip-hop's greatest artists. And producers and the classic records they made. What's up? Legendized. Hey, it's your boy DJ Legend, Marley Marl. DJ Kali Bond. And this is episode seven. seven. <laughs> we keep doing it. What? Yes, right. And, you know, we got to say, once again, thank you for the love that you're showing us. Indeed. We appreciate the love. We are reading the comments, and we're definitely going to oblige to what you love. And riding, you riding with riding with the kid, man. That's what happened. No doubt. Man. Legendized podcast. We got two dope hot topics. What you got? What you got? Did you know that Prince Estate said they dropping a new album in July? Woo! Somebody told me that Prince had over 100 unreleased songs. The first song, Born to Die, is already being released. Wow. And this was something that was done like in 2010. Wow. But check the story out. Okay. He had been watching videos of Cornell West. Mm. Right? Doctor. That's right. Dr. Cornell West. Okay. On YouTube. Okay. And during one speech, Dr. West said, I love my brother Prince, but he's no Curtis Mayfield. Ooh. So you know what, what Prince did, right? He's like, yo, I'm going to let my anime feel come out. <laughs> I'm going to show you. Okay. So there are lost 12-track album to be released to mm. show Prince's inner Curtis Mayfield. Wow. I need to hear some of that. Can you imagine what that's going to sound like? A Prince album influenced by Curtis Mayfield. I need the stems yesterday. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Give me those stems yesterday. Didn't you remix some Prince projects? Yeah, I did back in the day. And you know what's the funny thing? I sampled Prince on a record. He didn't know I sampled him. And he called Warner Bros. to clear that record because he wanted to use it on something else. Oh, because I remember clearly that you was checking out all the different parts of the song. Mm-hmm. And you was upset because Prince's vocals and the guitar were on the same track or something like that. Yeah, well, yeah. He had, I think he was playing the guitar and singing on the same and, track. And, and, and you it's on the same you track, and I couldn't get it off. <laughs> I mean, today it's easy to get it, of course, know, separated. But back then, you, you got to think if if we'd had all this equipment <sighs> that people have today to make records, man, I wonder if half the records I made back in those days would have came out the way they did. Probably not. It's know. still hot though. I don't know. Maybe so it's not because hot. it was the idea. The idea. It was the creativity of yeah, it all. Yeah. So Prince dropping an album. Wow. That's gonna be crazy. Give me them stems. I need those stems. Yeah. Immediately. Okay. Yeah. Another hot topic. What you got? And I got, got I gotta give a little background because I needed some myself. Rockefeller, aka mm. Jay-Z, mm. is suing Damon Dash over what they call NFTs. Of Jay-Z's Reasonable Doubt. Now, NFT. Now. You familiar with that? Yes, I am. So for all those out there, right, because I had to do my due diligence and, and, and research, it's mm -hmm. this digital token that contains information that proves ownership right. of a digital product. A non-fungible token. Right. That digital product can be artwork, music, mm -hmm. virtual collectibles, the digital trading cards, real yep. estate, cars, horses, cats. Anything. <laughs> it could be anything. Yeah. So what Dame Dash tried to do was... He attempted an NFT auction on Reasonable Doubt. Well, Dame told TMZ that he basically was just 
trying to sell his share. He said that Jay-Z tried to buy his one-third share of Rockefeller, but he didn't agree to the price. Actually, he said it was unacceptable. Right. So now he's looking for a new buyer because if it wasn't for Jay-Z having the exclusive administrating rights, it didn't matter whether Dame sold his share or not. He still has administrative rights. That's right. So he has the power over that. This is what I believe an organization should do. They should make NFTs for every artist that's out. So in the case of a DMX mm-hmm. or something, so when they pass, this NFT could pay for their funerals, put some money in their family's their pockets. Uh-huh. You know, this could pay some of their taxes. This could help every every artist needs an NFT. It's almost like a retirement plan. Right. Everybody needs that right now. But what I would like to do, make NFTs for every old school artist and this is their insurance. Right, right, right. You can't cash it in. No, you can't get into it early. This is for when something happens to you, this goes to your family. Almost like life insurance. Right, right. And then you have beneficiaries. There you go. That it goes to. 100%. This is what should happen in the rap music industry. Too many rappers is getting caught out there. They dying, no insurance, everything's all over the place. Mm-hmm. And it's and, and now they got a, a GoFundMe well, <laughs> for, for for a funeral. True. Yeah, so true. Come on, Unfortunately, this, true. That's um, that's embarrassing. Someone needs to start an organization and present them to all the old school artists, but they can't cash them out. And there's, there's so much to know in this industry. One of these episodes, we got to bring up like some a legendized attorney, music attorney. Yeah. That we can legendize. I got, I got, I think I got one. Okay. So there you have it, NFTs. NFTs, that's, that's something new, man. Hot topics. Hot topics, so let's NFTs. Let's not forget, Molly, it's still a summer alert. <laughs> I am happy to say that I've seen some lotion heels. Whoa, at least, At least in the Bronx. Okay, the BX? Yeah. Okay, BX. I'm looking, I'm looking in Queens and Long Island. Okay, Queens and Long Island. And when you travel, look in the airports for those Crocs. Oh, man, I'll be seeing them. With no socks. Believe me, I will be seeing them. And take pictures. You know, the funny thing, I only wear, I only wear Crocs when I go to Japan. <laughs> you know why? Because you walk in and out of houses, so you're right, kicking your right. shoes off. And it's not, you don't want to, you don't want to untie your shoe every day. Right, because of the culture. Right, right, right. So you're kicking your shoes off. But that's the, I got a big old pair of Crocs. But I, 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 I wear socks. Okay. <laughs> I wear socks with my Crocs. <laughs> you know what time it is? What time is it? It's time to enter the dragon. Ooh, you must be talking about what cha? Who chopped cha? In this segment of the game, we're gonna find out who chopped cha. Yeah, what the? That's right, yo. On this part of the show, this is what we call. Who chopped you? This is where we take a sample. Yeah. And we show you who used it, yeah. how, why, and when. Yes. <laughs> so we got something to talk about. I found an ill one. What you got? What you got this week, brother? What you got? I'm going to Stan Getz. Stan Getz? Yeah. Ooh, Stan Getz. And I apologize if I chop up this Brazilian slash Portuguese pronunciation. So, Dade Vem Correndo. Corendo. Produced by Luis Bonfa, 1963. Portuguese, Brazilian. Now, I'm going to, there's, 
A lot of people have used like two parts of this song, so I'm gonna play both parts. Okay, it's two parts, two parts. Yeah, two okay. parts. Here we go, let's go. Who chopped you? Gotta tell you at first, DJ Jazzy Jeff. Word? Raheem Divine, my peoples, produced Word? by Jazzy Jeff, 2002. And here it goes. <laughs> Woo! Oh. Philly sound right there. Sound future flavory right there. Ooh. On some R&B? Yeah. Ah. That was produced by Jazzy Jeff in 2002. I got something real recent, Molly. What you got? From Juice World, may he rest in peace. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the one that also used that Nas sample. Okay. A song called Make Believe, produced by Boy Wonder. Shout out to Boy Wonder and Tommy Brown in 2019. Mm. Listen to how they... Used it. I figured she was gonna break my heart regardless, regardless. Click, clap. She was gonna break my heart regardless. So I took her out and dumped her in the garbage. The stupid shit didn't turn itself. Wow. Wow, Ron's is corny as hell. <laughs> Rest <laughs> in peace, brother. <laughs> 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 that was a corny ass rock. <laughs> oh what else God. you got, Molly? Anything and else? 1995, Jay yeah. Dilla. Oh, Dilla. Dilla used it. Yeah. With Farside. This was a flip. Running. This was Woo. a Future Flavors exclusive. Oh, my back God. Yes, it was. Let's hear that. And yo, and that way they use rock box on that with the run, run. I be seeing Rev Run riding around around the neighborhood all the time. How do you feel about that Dilla, man? Because Dilla... You know what I think about Dilla? Dilla was incredible. I think Dilla, Dilla to me, mm-hmm. since Dilla came out around, he was rocking around the Future Flavor time. Definitely. I believe Dilla was Pete Rock next level. Wow. I think it was like next level of Pete Rock. Pete Rock had the like the the, the muffled bass lines, mm-hmm. but Dilla had like the offbeat muffled bass lines. You, you know what I'm saying? Yes. He took it. He took it to the next next step of that. But I always look at them as two peas in the pot. I look okay. at Jay Dilla, Pete Rock, 
I mean, if there was probably no Pete Rock, there probably would be no Dilla, would be no Kanye. You know, it goes Yo, in that yeah, line. Yeah, 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 the line. You line. get what I'm saying? I think the line is no right there. Back in the Future Flavor days when we paid tribute to Jay Dilla, you said you felt that he was like the Tupac of hip-hop mm. producers. At that time. Because, you know, even when he passed, everything wasn't even out. Everything right, was he just, because there was still so was much still to more to come. So, you know, I think when he was out and he around Future Flavor time, he was just brewing. He just was coming up. Right, right. And, you know, that's what I kind of felt. But as time went on, you know, more records came and I'm liking records and I'm realizing that Jay Dillon made them later on. Right, like, oh, right, wow. right. It's incredible. Because right. it took me a while to realize that he had a big part in that Janet Jackson. Oh, yeah. You know, until it's gone. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I mean... The umph, I think they yeah. was called the umph, something yeah, the, like that. Oh, the Uma. The Uma, there you go, the, the Uma. Yes, the Uma right. was Q-tip, nice. Yeah. yeah, the Uma Ali was Shahid. nice. Ali Shahid. Yes, and yes, So yes. Dilla was, you definitely, do you rank him high amongst hip-hop producers? Um, I think he got that Biggie effect. Like, he blew up and then was out. He was like yeah. in and out, Aaliyah right. style. Like you right, just, right. It was like right. a little bit of time, but With he got impact. a lot of things done in that little bit of time. Yeah, so definitely. Yeah. He was definitely he's definitely dope. I get I I put him in my top ten dope, for sure. Dope. He's he's definitely in my no top doubt. ten. That's Jay Dilla, R.I.P. Rest in peace, brother. Miss you, man. Missed them future flavor days. Oh man. Woo. Yeah, we gonna talk about that. That's what's up. Who chop chop? Don't forget when you hear three records in a row on one sample, that's coming from who chopped you. That's right. Hear a lot of people starting to bite that. Well, yeah, and I'm, 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 I'm starting to get emails. Use my sample. Ah. Use the triple I sample. <laughs> Legendize. So it's our favorite part of the show. Yeah, yeah. Now this part of the show is when we get into the interview section. Yeah, man. Our next guest right here. Yeah, man. I met him at my door. Royalty. Royalty. I met him at my. He he knocked on my door. So, you know, I'm like, okay. who, who, who's this cat coming? Wild looking dude coming to the crib. Who this nigga? So, I'm, you know, so I go get the little heatsy heats and go crack the door a little. <laughs> Yo, who, who, what up? He's like, Yo, I got some rhymes for biz. I write biz rhymes. So, you know, back in them days, motherfuckers were saying just anything to get in the crib. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he had to he had to have the heat just in case. I was like, yo, you what? All right, all right. Daddy spit a rhyme. I was like, yo, son. I was like, yo, hold up. What rhymes you what rhymes did you write for Biss so far? And he said some shit. I was like, yeah, only somebody inside would know that right there. I was like, yo, so began his career in 1986 as a member of the Juice Crew. Co-wrote some of Biz's best known joints. Ooh. The name Kane from Carradine's, you know David Carradine's character yeah, in yeah, Kung Fu? That's right. Yeah, David Carradine. And the character called Big Daddy, you right. know, the Vincent Price joint. Okay, okay, okay. Rolling Stone ranked his Ain't No Half Step in number 25 on the list of 50 greatest hip-hop songs of all time. I put it in top five. MTV put him number seven in their greatest Woo. MCs of all time. Woo. RZA listed him as one of the top five best MCs. Mm-hmm. Regarded as one of the most influential and skilled MCs in hip-hop, his first two albums are considered hip-hop classics. Mm. When I first came to your house, Marley, in Astoria, mm. I used to share sessions with Tragedy. Right. Tragedy said to me, was like, yo, nigga, I hope you can rhyme like Kane. <laughs> 
I did not want to go on the mic after that. <laughs> is that why you sent me down? <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Humbled. The cane is invincible. King Asiatic, nobody equals. Mr. Gable himself. Let's welcome BDK. Big Daddy King. What up, King? What's happening, gentlemen? How are you, Big Daddy, man? I'm good, man. I, I um I want to hear more more about the story with the gun that you had. That's that's that's, that's interesting. I'm, I'm I would love to hear more about this, man. You know, you know how it was back then. And yeah, it's my first time hearing this, man. I'd love to hear more about this gun. You know? How'd you pull up? Was it an automatic these... weapon? Was it a, oh. you know, a, a, a six shooter? What, what did, you know? Back then, I think that was a thirty-two. I think I had a thirty-two back then. That's some 32 days of shit. Well, you do know you need more than that to stop Brooklyn niggas, right? Right. 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 These days, for sure, for sure. <laughs> uh, okay, baby. Okay. 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 Do you still got this gun? <laughs> we, we know we can't even talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know the statute limitation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Never mind. Good. I'm sorry. Nigga, I'm, I got so many other heats. <laughs> he got different. Nigga, that was baby heats right out the hood, nigga. He updated. <laughs> we talking rapid, nigga. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so it began. So King Asiatic, nobody's equal. What made you think of that right there? What made you fucking sit back and be like, yo, fuck that. I'm King Asiatic, nobody's motherfucking equal. What made you think of that? Uh, you know, just from using King Asiatic as garbage, you know, and, um, you know, realizing, you know, with the cane, just putting the N-E part to it. That's all made sense. You know, like, oh, wow, there's, there's already a K and an A. All right, let me see. How can I flip the N and the E, you know? Got you. I got you. So tell me, take me back to growing up in Brooklyn. Let's go from junior high. Where the fuck was your head at, man? Yeah. And what part of Brooklyn? Yeah. Um, well, I grew up in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. Um, I used to live on Lewis Avenue between Lafayette and Van Buren. Mm. Lewis Ave, Lewis Ave. Used to say back in the day, the Lewis Ave Committee. I remember that. Yeah, Lewis Ave, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Well, I mean, I didn't start rapping until 82, and that was like that summer after I graduated from junior high, right before I went to Park West. Oh, you went to Park West? Yeah, I went to Park West for one, for one year. Oh, shit. I went to Manhattan High. That was like a few blocks away. We used to go to Park West and go see the chicks over there. <laughs> we used to all boys school. They used to go beat up all of everybody. So that's <laughs> we used to be coming to your school terrorizing that shit. Park West. He was on 50th Street or 49th yep. Street, right? 50th, 50th, yeah. And we was on 52nd Street and 8th Ave. We used to go, let's go down to Park West. That's where the, that's where it's at. Also around 82, you started emceeing. What made you get into emceeing? I had an older cousin, Murdoch, you know, he started taking me to the dudes to see the Kung Fu flicks and take me to all the block parties where like Master D and Frankie D cats were spinning. Okay. You know, he was like the older cousin I looked up to. So once he started rapping, I wanted to rap too. So, so back then it was all about battle rapping with you. Where was the places where you would just go battle? Where would you just go show those skills? Mainly, you know, like we go to block parties. You know, mm -hmm. or sometimes that they have some like in the community center um, in the projects, but mainly block parties. And lots of times I go to people high school. Like I went up to Erasmus High, you know, stuff like that. How the fuck did you get from Brooklyn to 49th Street and 8th Avenue every fucking day? How you do that? What would you take? That's a, that's a little huff right there, though. Um, I was taking the train. I think I was taking the the, the H to the C. Got you. I agree. Yeah. I, that was a huff, though. That was a huff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, do you remember any of your toughest battles? Oh, yeah. One of my toughest battles was against some dude at um, Bishop Lachlan High School. Like, Marley, you know how G-Rap, right? Yeah. Okay, imagine that, like, times two. Like, so in, instead of 100 bars, dude would be spitting, like, 200 bars. <laughs> like, yeah, so it's like, for every one of my verses, he had a book. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> and it's like, but unlike G-Rap, you know, who was phenomenal, this dude wasn't super lyrical. It was just the type of thing where after he say all these parts, you don't forgot what I said. Right, mm -hmm. right, right. Yeah, so I, I claimed I'm about to be late for work. So, so we <laughs> cut them bars down to about, you know, 16 or 24, you know? Tell me exactly, what does Albie Square Mall, when you think about it, what does it mean in your heart? Um, man, Albie Square Mall to me is like a landmark in my heart, you know? Uh, right, right. As a you know, teenager, you used to get some of the flyest fashion, you know, valley shoes. You know, that's when mm -hmm. we used to get a lot of our jewelry back in the day, you know, mm -hmm. when we first started. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, is where I met Biz Marquis. You know me without that brother, you know. That's what's up. Well, I, re I definitely remember Albie Square more. I remember I had a summer job. We used to get paid over in Red Hook Project. Uh -huh. used to walk from Red we used to walk from Red Hook Project to Albie Square. Oh, wow. and, you know, mo and niggas used to just be hanging out on every corner waiting to see who, who's going to get vicked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's yeah, right. That was, that, was, that was a crazy time in life going through Brooklyn, just getting paid, walking from Red Hook Projects, getting paid oh, in Ro wow. Red Hook Projects. Now we walking down to Albee Square, right down Atlantic. <laughs> so you already know, before they put on the pretty buildings and all that shit there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Now, uh, we were talking about the mid-80s, and um, a couple of episodes ago, we had DJ Clark Kent on here, Kane, and he was saying that everyone knew in the mid-80s that Jazzo was the best MC in BK. How do you feel about that? No, he was. Um, Jazzo was the most known MC in in Brooklyn, like I just spoke to um Fresh Gordon, I think last week. Oh yeah, I think last oh. week about that. When I was telling him, like when he, when Fresh Gordon had me do the mixtape with Jazz O and Jay Z, um mm. that um I was so pissed at him because Gordy lived around the corner from me. Like I'm on okay. Lewis near Van Buren. Gordy was on Van Buren, so I'm like, you going to go get the Marcy dude to put on your mixtape? And you know I'm right around the corner, but Jazz O. <laughs> Jazz O was so hot in the streets, like like as if he had a record out. Yeah, Jazz O was definitely the most popular unsigned artist in Brooklyn. Right. Well, explain to us, to our audience who don't know, explain who Fresh Gordon is. Fresh Gordon is a Brooklyn producer um, who... Uh, he has something to do with Push It. Yeah, 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 yeah. Salt Pepper's Push It. Oh, what? Salt yeah. Pepper's Push It. Um, he had that Gordy's Groove joint. Well, I mean, yeah, it broke in the house. Yeah. Introducing you on the undisputed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was an amazing producer and like a crazy tech dude. He was digital before everybody. He was like yeah. a digital dude. Yeah. He was into that digital shit. We were sampling, but he was digital and shit. He was doing shit like that, and it was nice yeah. and clean. Right off the computer, too. You know, he, he was dope. So, it's well documented 
that you wrote a lot of songs for Biz Marquee and Roxanne Shantae. Is there anybody else you slid rhymes to back in them days? Was um, there any other songs? I mean, yeah. I mean, there was other people that I did some ghostwriting for. Any names you want to drop? I wouldn't be a ghost then. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that. Um, all right. Besides you pulling up to Marley's crib for the first time, and Marley a little being cautious, I know there's a connection with Biz, but how did you end up meeting Marley to actually start recording? Um, honestly, I had I had been to Marley's crib before, you know, but this is back mm. when um when you know Biz told me don't don't tell them that I rap don't don't tell nobody I rap. I was there in the mm. studio when they recorded on uh, Death Fresh Crew as well. You mm. know that's that was like the mind blowing session when I saw Shantae do three different takes saying three different rhymes and then I'm like yo mm. is she going off the top is she going off the dome? Biz was like Shantae don't write yeah that's all off the dome. I'm like wow. I'm Shantae he's Biz Marquis. we rock so fresh that they think it's three. You know, Dope. but I mean, yeah. I had been there once before, when, but this particular time, Biz asked me, like Biz stayed at my crib to buy um, the Hihachi drums. You know, he, he stayed at my right. crib to get those. But then he said he was going to Midtown to go get the Steve Miller band record. And um, I um, went straight to Marley's crib. Gotcha. Biz never showed up. Mm. And I'm, you know, I'm talking to Marley, telling him like, yo, I was supposed to meet Biz here. Marley like, Biz ain't here. You know? So <laughs> you were like, talking to him at the door, right? At the door, Marley, yeah. the door cracked open. He just had it cracked crack. open. Yeah, he had the door cracked. <laughs> was, like, was the chain I'm on like, the, yo, the chain link on the door? Chain and, <laughs> the chain and everything. And I'm like, yo, I came. I'm like, yo, I took the train from Brooklyn all the way here to meet Biz for the session. And then Marley was like, Biz in here. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. So I'm like, you know, well, look, he's the rhyme that he's supposed to you know, do today. He asked me, um, you know, you writing stuff for Biz? And I was like, I wrote that. And you asked me, how did it go? And I spit a little bit of it. Then Marley asked me, do I rock? And I spit a verse for Marley. And then he, you know, he opened the door. He was like, come on in. Ah. <laughs> yeah. ah he put the heat in the pants. And it was like, verse? you know, the door opened up. And it was like like the furniture had the oil, the orange aura around it. Like, you know, <laughs> like, I'm yeah, like, yeah. You know, yeah. like, I'm in here for me, you know? <laughs> like, at that point in time in that day, Molly could have said, yo, so what time do you think Biz going to get here? I probably would have been like, Biz who? <laughs> I, was, I, was, I feel I was, you. I'm in that. Yeah, yeah I, I was happy. You. Yeah, yeah. So, man. like, how much of a fan of Molly's were you at the time? I mean, you got to understand, hip-hop, recording-wise, it started as a band thing. You know all them right. songs on Sugar Hill, Enjoy, was with the band, you know? Right. And then... That's the era that Molly hates. You know, <laughs> starting, um, like, the Run DMC and the Def Jam era, it went into this Lindrum, DMX drum thing, and that was mm -hmm. pretty much, you know, the sound. Right. This man single-handedly transferred hip-hop back to the original roots. Thank you. Where you in the Park Jam robbing off a breakbeat, this right. brother mm -hmm. figured out a way to instead of like a DJ just playing the break part, putting the break part in the drum machine, replaying right. it. So Marley took it back to the original art form that MCs really were accustomed to doing, where we're in the park rhyming over the break beat. Right. Only thing mm -hmm. is not coming from a turntable, it's coming from an SP12, you know? Mm -hmm. So right. what, yep. what, what Marley invented was like not only innovative, but also taking it back to the essence and showing the world 
Because, you know, there's people around the world that never been to a black party. There's people in the world right. that never heard anybody from a cool hurt in the Bronx, never heard of a Grandmaster Flowers or Master T yeah. in Brooklyn, never heard of the yeah. Disco Twins in Queens. Yeah. People around the no world doubt. didn't know a sound that was created for hip-hop. Molly is introducing that to the world now. Wow. It's like, to me, you know, what he did was probably the most innovative thing musically that could have been done. No doubt. Legendized. This is the story of how a film gets made. Starring Josh Rubin. It's his first feature. You were the worst, Aya Cash. Can we not do this right now? <laughs> and SNL's Chris Red. He's not doing it for a paycheck. Okay, okay, I'll see y'all. Join us for the making of Scare Me, a horror comedy from the brilliant mind of Josh Rubin. This year you're gonna make a movie no matter what. Tear down the fourth wall of filmmaking with our crack team of investigators. Don't you come at me and try to get me to spill some stuff. This is Make Cool Shit, hosted by Aaron Heafitz. It doesn't get any better than that. Season one, make a movie. Three, two, one. <laughs> Everywhere you enjoy podcasts. So I guess I'm going to learn the film business. Legendized. Do you remember that verse he kicked for you? Or anything that sounds like it? I know did it you record so, that verse? No, nah, I know it was something dope, though. I always, you know, ever since I first heard him rhyme, I was like, it's different, it's innovative, it's gonna fuck niggas up. All right, all right. So, real, I mean, man. and we're talking during a heavy time at the beginning of the golden era of hip-hop. So there was a lot of originality, yeah. right, and flows. Yeah. What was it specifically about Kane that Marley Maul you know, gravitated to. It was it was the cadence and the voice tone. Okay. Nobody had that tone. Right. It was like real deep. It was like, I was like, yo, this motherfucker nice right here. Yo, come get your ass in here, man. <laughs> See that mic over there? <laughs> the voice tone fucked me up. Okay. I was like, because it was like, that shit was like Barry White rapping, nigga. I'm like, what the fuck you talking about? That nigga nice. Bitch is gonna love this nigga. All right. And then, once they heard his voice, and then they seen it was, you know, like a, a slim type fella walking out there yeah. throwing Kotex in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yo, this motherfucker got something. One thing I can say about Kane as an artist, like I used to just make beats for artists and just fly them to beats and here, this, this, I'm making beats. Yo, this, this right here is for Sharon. And this right here is for Shantae. This is going to be for so-and-so. Uh, one time I remember I let him hear a beat that was for Sharon. That nigga, he slipped the beat, the, the disc, out of where I was having it because I was going through so much shit. Uh -huh. He slipped it out of there. This nigga goes over to the soundproof and in the wall, like, see the, the soundproof? Yeah, yeah, there? yeah, the phone. He went and slid the shit back behind there. To hide it. To hide it for itself. What, <laughs> what point was that? Young Gift to the Black. The black. Oh, no! That was originally a Shan joint. Yeah, yeah. Now, he's like, yo. Now, then when we was doing the soundtrack, he's like, yo, you got the beat in your house. He's like, yo, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm going to come show you. So he comes to the house. <laughs> we stand in the studio. <laughs> and we stand there. He said, like, you know where the beat is at? He goes up in the wall and pulls it out from behind us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you remember, <laughs> remember first I made, a, I made a big stink about the me and Antoinette thing. Right, right, right. Like I really cared. I didn't. Right. <laughs> there was the a rapper beat, Antoinette. There was a, beat, there was a beat that I did at Marley House. 
Oh, and okay. Marley, B, okay. Yeah. And me and All Antoinette right. did a commercial for Marley. Right, right, right. 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 Yeah, yeah. 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 FC. Yeah. Right. Okay. Called, called Raw Attitude. And, right. Um, right. Oh, yes. That's yeah. right. And okay. Marley um, ended up giving the beat to Shan. Shan used it on his album. So I'm sitting there like, yo, that was my beat, Marley. How you gonna give Sham a beat, man? Well, then, then, then Sham owe me a beat. And Marley's like, all right, then, well, you know, I'll make some stuff. No, 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 I, I, I already know what, which one I want. <laughs> <laughs> he went to the wall, ah, yeah. pulled yeah. it out. Like, oh. well, I'm just in the machine. <laughs> that shit been simmering for about four months. I was just waiting for the opportunity. Word up. Rappers are ragging and tagging and snagging and bragging to be on the bandwagon, but I'm the last dragon with the knack to attract the pack. So just get back. I'm young, gifted, and black. That's the street anthem. Now we're co-writing with DMX on that too. I'm sure you get your royalties off that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. Yes, That's sir. what I'm saying. Rest in peace, DMX. So let's go back to a pre-Jewish crew in Brooklyn. Who were your influences that you were listening to beyond the mic? Um, Grandmaster Kaz. Grandmaster Kaz. Uh, yeah. Grandmaster Kaz was so ahead of his time. Yes. I mean, you got to think, if, if this nigga wrote fucking the rhymes on fucking Rapper's Delight, Rapper's Delight. And, and niggas just was hearing his tape and recited what the fuck they heard on a rhyme tape. Right. And, and the routine. And put it, and put it, it on it, Because if people know the history of the Cold Crush and they know about the different routines, they'll know how innovative it really was. So you was listening to cassettes, I guess, at that time. I was just playing cassettes. That's how we cassettes, got yeah, our music I mean, yeah, across. You know, every, right? Everything pretty much. You know, Cold Crush didn't really have like a real catalog like that. I think they had like punk rock rap. We got a punk rock rap. We got the Fresh Wild Flying Bowl. Matter of fact, right. if, if I'm correct, I think Marley might have been the one that played Get Down Grandmaster for me. Because that's when, mm. you know, Aaron Fuchs used to always come and give you all the new stuff. And that, oh. was, that was on <laughs> Tough City. That was that on with... Tough City. Yes, we yeah. were just talking about that with Mark the 45 King. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Aaron Fuchs in Tough City. Okay. Yeah. I think I, I really think it was Marley that played that joint for me. And I was like, yo, can I get one of these? You know? Mm. Yeah. Because when I heard that yo. get down, this is like 86, I think, you know? You can try your damnedest to understand this. Showtime is that too to see the grandest. Um, Marley was is known for swapping beats around. <laughs> I've been around since for a minute, and I know there's a story behind the raw beat. Hmm. Oh, yes. See? Yeah, with the raw beat, I wanted to loop it straight. He wanted to loop it off beat. Boom. I was like, yo, I think it'd be hot going all the way through. So... We had a little, it was like, we was debating about, yo, man, fuck that. Put it like this. Nah, sound better this way. Nah, let me just do it. Let me let, me let you hear how it sound. Blah, blah, blah. All right, bong, bong, bong. So. And plus, you was pissed because you already dumped the tape, too. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> yeah. So you was already pissed, right. like, do it again? You know? Oh, right, yeah. right, 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 right. <laughs> so, so we, we did right. it the offbeat style the way he, he wanted it. And then when he put his rhymes on it, he would pause in the rhyme and it just fitted so perfect. I was like, that that right there let me know that Kane was different from the artist because 
A lot of the artists just is just spitting words. They just saying yeah. words that rhyme. It don't even fucking make sense some of the time, but <laughs> they just making words that rhyme and you know they get hot. But certain people are are word architects. Yes, yes. You get right. what I'm saying? Yes. I could say it's like they're a word architect. They know where each word is gonna fall on the beat. Yeah. They build those bars like with accuracy. Yes, yeah, yeah. Some people do that. Some people just spitting rhymes, just saying rhymes. Words that rhyme, and that shit is corny as fucking hell. <laughs> you know so, what I'm saying? So, Kane, you had a production ear. Oh, yeah. Where was your musical influence? Like, what were you listening to in the house? Um, well, I mean, I listened to a lot of James Brown, um, a lot of Willie Hutch, mm. you, know, um, you know, stuff like in the meters. What's a what's a uh, Big Daddy Kane Saturday? You just wake the fuck up. You put your shit on. What you listening to yeah, in your playlist, house, man? Your playlist, man. I mean, it could be Brothers Gonna Work It Out from Willie Hutch. Um, Brothers Gonna Work It Out. Brothers Gonna Work It Out. Y'all hear me now? Could have been um, Marvin Gaye, If I Should Die Tonight. Oh, if I should die tonight, oh, baby, though it be fun. Um, you know, stuff like that. Um. Uh, the OJ's help. Yeah. Yeah, I get a lot of my soul roots from my stepfather, Frank. He used to take us in the car. He used to like drive upstate, but he had them OJ's on. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Something from MFSB. It, it was a family reunion every time we jumped in the back of the car. You get what I'm saying? So, and those are the songs we used to sing along to. Don't ask me why I listen to those songs now. They're kind of depressing when I when I think about it. Hey, <laughs> you know when I think about, it, I'm like, damn, what the fuck was what was we going through? Shit, them songs make the wine taste better to me. Ah, <laughs> oh, there you go, there yeah. you go. That's just me. Though. All right. <laughs> Speaking of wine tasting better, who you ready to verses with? Who what? Who you ready to verses with? I know you ready. I mean, you know, I mean, I've been asked. Um, it's just it's, it's been difficult to make it happen, but um. You know, me personally, I, I think it, it should be KRS, you know? Okay. You think he could take out any everybody and everybody and anybody? No, but I mean, that's why I love, respect, and would prefer Chris. Because, right. I mean, you know, that's the mentality that I want to see. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I, right. I wouldn't want to go against anybody that's, that's, that's uncomfortable. To be straight honest, I would love to see you and Chris go at it, but I would love to hear some raw beats come on. And y'all just do some unscripted shit, like off the top like of the head. No, that's freestyle that, shit. No, that's what we talked about. Me and KRS right. had a show in um, November in Atlanta, and we right. sat and talked about it. We was like, yo, if we can make this happen, instead of just going 20 songs back, back and forth, maybe mm-hmm. we should do about 12 or 15, right? And mm-hmm. then for the ending, like the like we just go three bars back and forth at each ooh, other ooh. like a real rap battle. You know? uh-huh. And then Ooh. KRS was like, you know what? Yeah, that'd be dope. We can even let our DJs battle. Like I like my DJ Ooh. battle your DJ. I was like, yeah, we're gonna make it something official. That should have killed the fucking internet. Yeah. Yes. That should have yes. killed the, in- yes. the internet had dropped dead that day. Now, <laughs> yeah, now let me ask y'all. Now about. I'm gonna ask Marley and then Kane. I want I, I would like your response. If if something like this happened, right, with verses, but Right. On with KRS and Kane. Right. Do you, are you going to be thinking about any B- a BDP and Juice Crew? Excitement? I mean, you know, BDP, Juice Crew battle was, it was like so quick. 
and over so quick and short that I think you think it was quick to us. It was like it was a good long lasting battle. Went rounds. Uh, it went two rounds. Okay, <laughs> round and a half, two rounds. Okay. You get what I'm saying? So I think his catalog and BDP catalog is much deeper than that. Uh huh. Because you know Chris got a lot of records. Yes. Big Daddy Kane got a lot of records. You know what I'm saying? One yeah. thing Kane gonna fuck him up when when we start going for the females. Because Chris don't really got female records. There you go. Yes, I you know believe that. You can sit back and, eat, and the wine be tasting real good. You could just sit there, drink your wine. You could baby face on that nigga while he jumping around. And you could probably do your do your thing. But I think it will be interesting. How would you feel? Would that thought ever cross your mind? Um, Like the whole BDP juice crew piece from back in the days? Yes. No, no, no. Not at all. Because you got you to understand, Um, that was legitimate hip-hop beef that, right. you know, stayed on wax, never became a contact mm-hmm. sport. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you can put Shan and Karis one in the same room. Mm, right. When it was all said and done, Molly ended up making an album with Karis one. You know what I'm saying? Right. So mm-hmm. therefore, you know, it's, it's all about the love. You know what I'm saying? Ain't about no drama, ain't about no real beef. It's about, you know, dominance, hip hop dominance. And right. once that's yeah. over, we go back to just being, you know, normal people and friends. You know, because I mean, a lot of people don't even know this. You know, back then, when this was going on, Terrace One and Miss Melody, they helped me move out of my mother's house. Wow. Wow. You know what I'm saying? They helped me move yeah. out of my mother's house. Me and Terrace One carrying a couch downstairs. Right. Miss Melody right behind us with the 25 inch TV. Her girlfriend yeah. with the VCR. And we went to my yeah. new apartment um, in Canarsie and set everything up and opened up a six pack of Heineken and watched The Color Purple. And this is yeah. wild, Shannon and, and Chris are going at it. You know <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dope, That's dope. So take me through, um, you know, the Juice Crew already started popping. Magic was shouting out Shantae, Biz, and Shan. And then you come along as a part of the Juice Crew. What are you feeling like at that time? I mean, by the time I did get there, because like I said, you know, I was around them in several situations. Because the right. very first time I came around was when they did Jeff Fresh Crew. And it's like, me and Biz, we took the train here, we got the power play. As soon as we got to the door, Biz just turns to me and says, don't tell them that you rap. Don't tell them that you are my crew. Just pretend that, you, <laughs> that we just boys. And I'm up there watching, and I'm amazed. Like, I'm meeting Marley Marl. I'm meeting right. um, Roxanne Shante. I'm meeting MC Shan. Uh, you know, I'm introduced to Fly Tide. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's a crazy thing. And, but then now... When once Biz actually calls me on stage at Union Square, and now people know what I do and everything, um, now it's, it's it's crazy because these are people that I'm looking up to, idolizing. You know, I mean, right. it's like um, you know, I really looked up to Shan because right before then, every battle that I had at a block party, everyone, not some, every battle I had at a block party, I rhymed off the bridge. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Oh, wow. Every, yeah. Oh, dope. Okay. Every, wow. every battle of the Black Party, I rhymed off the bridge. And now I'm meeting wow. the brother that made it. You yeah, know? Right, right. And the artist. No, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about Shan. I'm talking about Shan. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm now meeting the brother that made it. And the person that made the beat is now going to be making beats for me. Wow. You see what I'm saying? Right, right, so right, right, right. right. Like a dream <laughs> come true. And then, you know, then Shantae, like a year later, asked me to be her DJ. And come on the Def Jam right. tour with her. So it's like it's like I'm living the dream right now. You know, it's mm-hmm. like everything that I was hoping for was all coming true, man. You know, that's what's up. So how did how did 
How did you end up being the DJ? Um, I don't know. You remember Marley when we was all rehearsing for something, and me, you, Cool V, Bax, and Backspin, um, we all got on the turntable and was DJing. But it was the first time y'all ever seen me DJ. Put, was that the Apollo or something? I think so. I think it was. Was that we were, was rehearsing at the Apollo? Yeah, I think we was. No, 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 no. It wasn't that because I had records out then. But when I became Shante DJ, that was '86. I didn't have no records. We was rehearsing for something. But I mean, it was something that you know. I'm just really there as a plus one because I don't have a record. Right. So right. whatever they was doing, something that Juice Crew was doing. But I'm just there as a spectator because I don't have no records at that time. But I got on like Marley. Cool V, um, Backspin, who was Shante DJ at the time, and might have even been Polo. They all was DJing. And I got on. V, let me get on. And when Shante seen me DJ, she was like, yo, I want you to come do this tour with me. And I was like, yo, I um, I, I don't know. I got to really talk to Biz about it, you know, because, um, you know, uh, he might need me <laughs> on the road with him. And she was like, um, you know, I can give you 250 a show. I was like, yeah, let me go let him know right now. <laughs> and she didn't know at the time that you was rhyming. She had no idea that she was rhyming. Uh, yeah, yeah, she did. Okay, yeah. Because oh, I did. mean, this okay. is this is when I'm down. Because see, what happened was I was I would be at shows just chilling, like I'm just one of his boys. And one night at Union Square, excuse me, like all the cats that I used to run with, Hawk, Dog, Pig, Slop, all these dudes is there, you know. So Biz just felt like. I got to let my man shine tonight. I, I can't. Right, right. And he just said, y'all want you to meet my new artist. And he just called me out in the clear blue, you know, and that, I came out and did my thing. And that's when the rest of them found out that I can ride. Legendize. So what happened to that song you made with Tupac? Um, you made a song with Tupac in L.A. one day. I remember. I made one with Tupac and then I made one with Tupac and Hammer. Hammer, uh, yeah, 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 there you go. Yeah, we used the junior joint too late, and it was called Too Late Player. That was me, Pac, and uh, Hammer. The smooth women outside muscling, grand theft hustling, black seeds are heat and struck again. And then me and Pac did one that was supposed to be for his album called Wherever You Are. But um, you know, you know, unfortunately, you know, we lost the brother the following year, so it didn't come out. You know. Hard to kill, and even harder to stop. Watch Kane and Pop drop the show shot. Tell them motherfuckers. And the crazy thing is, like, you know, you know, we lost his brother at a Tyson fight, and when yeah. me, Pop, and Hammer did these songs. We was in Vegas at a Tyson fight, the one right before he, wow. you know, he passed. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. So tell me about the Superfest with Big and Pac, you know, when y'all did that on Where Brooklyn at. What was the energy on oh, the stage? Oh, like, thank what you. What was the energy yeah, on that yeah. stage? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Oh, yeah, no, nah, that was that was crazy because um, Mr. C came and said that, um, yo, Biggie want to come to the show. And I was like, all right, yeah, we got him faded. It's all good. He said, but yo, you know, he been hanging with Tupac. He went to bring right. Pac too. You know, I've known Pac since he danced for Digital. He, they was on my first tour. Right. Okay. Pac is my dude. Yeah. Tell him, tell Biggie to bring him. Yeah. So, you know, they came and, um, and I called him up. You know, with Pac and Biggie. Yeah, they came on and the crowd went crazy. Because you got to say, at that time, Tupac was pretty much Elvis, you know? Right. right. So, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And Biggie, he was that dude repping the streets. 
So when they came on, you know, we all just spit around. The crowd went crazy, especially when Biggie started that. We're Brooklyn at. We're Brooklyn oh, at. Yeah, well, they went fanatic. Yeah, that's dope. That got used on a lot of records, too. Uh-huh. Mr. C came off on that one. <laughs> and you know what the funny thing is? Sometimes you never know what history you're making when you're recording it. Yeah. Kind of like when y'all just, just rhyming with Biz at the crib. That was like a real two-track recording. Yeah. I was playing the drum machine. I just was recording on the two-track. And then him and Biz was rhyming and freaking Frack was at the end. Mm-hmm. And, and they just was, you know, it was just a two-track recording. We didn't know what the fuck. It wasn't tracked and nothing. They just freestyle rhyme on, rhyming off the top of the head and rhyming. And I just recorded it. Mm-hmm. And that became, that became a joint. I mean, yeah. sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you hit that record button, motherfuckers. Because you could be making history, man. Remember, that's how the symphony started. Please, uh, hold saying. up, McCain. Please, we had Shan on here. <laughs> I've been around, you know, I DJ for Craig G. I've been <laughs> around for years around the Juice Crew. Blessed. The only person's story that I haven't heard their version of how the symphony was actually formed and recorded <laughs> and made is your version. So please, for me personally and the listeners, I need to hear your version, please. All right. Well, <laughs> this is the way I remember it. We did Raw. And it was one night me and G-Rap was at Marley's. And like just what, like what Marley just said, he hit the yeah. record button. And me and G-Rap rhymed off of the Raw beat. Raw. Yes. And when Marley started playing it on BLS, you know, a lot of people was calling up requesting it. Yo, I want to hear that, that Raw version with G-Rap on it. You know, a lot yes. of people mm. calling up requesting it. So <sighs> then that's what Marley told us. Yo, I want y'all to do this like on, on a song for real, but for my album. You know, Marley looked at it. He wanted to do it. Not for a K album. Not right, for right, a right. album. Marley album. Is that, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> so it started as a song that was supposed to be just me and G. Yeah. Um, then um, one day at Marley's crib, Marley told me that Craig wanted to be on the song. Craig said he wanted to be on it. You know? And um, what was the joint? Was it Duck Alert? I think it was a Duck Duck Alert. Yeah, Duck Alert out yeah. here. Okay. You hadn't, I don't think you had done, you hadn't done Dropping Science yet, right? Nah, nah, Dropping yeah. Science wasn't done yet. Yeah, okay. Molly played Duck Alert. You be like, damn, Craig, why did you play me, yo? And then you realize we're topping rap radio. Cause it's the game, boy, you can't do work. Molly, please tell us his name. Duck Alert. And you know, this is my first time hearing Craig get it in, get it in, you know, since like Transformers mm. and Shout. You know, right, and I'm like, right, right. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, yeah, yeah, hell yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Craig, me, yeah. Let's put them on there, you know? I think that's dope, mm-hmm. Marley, you know? So it was the three of us. Then the day of um, taking the photos for In Control. The album cover. We meet Master, we meet Master Ace, Steady Pace, you know, hey, what's up, peace, peace, whatever. We go back to Marley crib to go do the symphony. And then that's when Marley dropped the bomb on us. You know, like, yo, this is my new artist. I want to put him on the song, too. And me and well, let's rewind. Which was Ace. Let's rewind, let's rewind. Okay. Um, at the photo shoot, what did we tell Shan? What's did that? we tell Shan to meet us? Was Shan supposed to meet us that day? I don't remember Shan uh, being involved. You talking about yeah, for the symphony? Yeah, yeah, when we was doing the symphony. Now, we left the photo shoot because Shan was at the photo shoot. Yeah, Shan was there. Yeah, we, 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 we going to the crib to make this record. And Shan's like, right, I'll meet you there. I'm going to meet you there. But he just never came. <laughs> oh, see, I, see, I didn't, honestly, honestly, I never knew Shan was supposed to be on it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, um, yeah, right. Uh, you That's know, I remember one particular day 
you did say to me, you know, Shan gonna want to be on this here too. But I mean, that's <laughs> as far as that's as far as I remember the conversation ever going. I just know because gotcha. at the photo shoot, you never even said Ace was going to be on. You know, yeah, right. it just happened when we got there Wait, because the way how you know Shan and and some other people agreed with Shan that Shan did say he was coming, and Ace was just supposed to be the filler. The space, you know, put the space where Shan is gonna go. And after Ace spit his verse, they were like, "Yeah, we're gonna leave it." But um, Ace was just was just there to to fill in for Shan's part. Um, he was actually there to watch. He was there. He was there to watch. And then yeah, all I mean, of a sudden, I ne- nobody was. I'm like, "Yo, who's gonna go first? Niggas like, "I don't, I don't know who's gonna go first. Yo, I don't give a who's first. gonna go first. Yeah. <laughs> I don't first. Who's gonna go first? That's how Marley started. Moment. That. That's exactly that's how, how Marley started. That. Yep. <laughs> that's how I, I remember that. I don't care who's first or who lasts. Y'all just better get up on this and rock this at the Jump top of the time, time, baby. That's exactly how it started. Wow. I couldn't really tell you. How Ace got involved, like Marley or, or Ace would have to tell you that. I just know that mm. at, when we got there, all I knew was going to be me, G, and Craig. But then when wow. we told that Ace is going to be on it, you remember Marley, you remember Ace, we had <laughs> right. a big glass. Yeah. Right, 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 right. So, Y'all went to the pizza shop for that nigga. No, 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 we, 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 we never made it out. That was the plan. I, I, told, I told G, I said, I'm about to say I'm going to the pizza shop and I'm getting the fuck up out of here, man. You know, <laughs> but we never made it out. You know, Ace, Ace ended up rhyming, and I leaned over and told G, "Yo, glass is kind of nice, man." Glass. <laughs> Yo, I was like, I was really feeling Ace. Like I thought he was dope. Yes, you know? indeed. And, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like you know, you know, Marley is the creator, so who knows? You know, all this shit could have been planned out in his head. He was just telling us step by step. For all I know, right, 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 you know right, right, right. Nah, I used to just let things happen. I used to just let things happen, and I'm glad you was on that song. But do you think the song would have, you would have wrote different rhymes if Shan was on that song? Do I think what? You would have wrote different rhymes if Shan was on that song. Nah. Nah. Let me ask you this. When the symphony dropped, of course, it was incredible. The response was outstanding. And then people were waiting for the symphony too. But this time they were saying maybe Molly should switch up the lineup or the order. How did you feel about that, Kane? I didn't know. You know, by that time there was so much drama going on that I mean, you know, my mind wasn't even really there. So I mean, I mean, okay, right. I was fine with it, you know. So why are you dressed different in the symphony video than everybody else? Yeah. I- <laughs> 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 Statue of limitations. Right. My, my man. My man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, I'm saving that for my movie. I'm just going to let you know, nigga. <laughs> hey, you, you, you do what you got to do, brother. <laughs> you know what? Speaking of movies, <laughs> Kane, how did you transition from the MCing to becoming an artist? to then becoming an actor. Uh, and then becoming the sitting there butt naked with Madonna in them. Why the fuck <laughs> you do that, nigga? <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't naked. He was in some Calvin Klein's. Because for a minute, you was in, yo, you went from, you was like one of the first rapper actors 
you know, you was like, you was like on the cusp of that early. Before, on the big screen. On the big screen. Not even like, on the TV, but on the Yeah, you was on the big screen. So how'd you make that transition? Did you move out to LA to get those roles and shit? Um, yeah, I was out there for a while staying at Jim Brown house. Oh, okay. Oh. Um, Holly Robinson, her mother, Dolores Robinson, was my agent at the time. Oh, okay. And, you know, she for was, acting? Yeah, for acting. For acting. Okay, okay. Yeah. But with the posse, that, that thing came by accident. It was a movie called Gunman, and I just had a scene in it as Big Daddy came. Right, right, okay. But it was in Mexico. They told me not to drink the water. I didn't, but my dumb ass bought an icy, and naturally <laughs> that's water. Word. I, so I got <laughs> sick. So when Mario saw that I was sick, throwing up, but still able to run over here, and when they say action, shoot what I need to shoot, and when they cut, I run, throw up again, come right back, He's told me, he was like, yo, I think you're very professional, like you carried yourself, and I think you look good on camera. I um, I wrote this cowboy movie, and there's a part that I had for Wesley, but, you know, dude just told me 20 million, so um, I think you'd be perfect for it. <laughs> <laughs> so you told him, I got, I got you for 10, nigga. <laughs> <laughs> so, why? So yeah, that's what's up. That part was for Wesley. Wow! Yeah, and it turned out, oh, it was for a chocolate brother. How did you? How did you change over from being this Brooklyn stick up kid to this sex symbol? Yeah, from raw. Yeah, to... yeah. How would you? How did you? How you do that? What was like the thought? Or was it a thought process that you had like planned, or did it just happen organically? Um, I mean, just really testing the waters and feeling the vibe. And at that particular time, the main names that you're hearing was myself, Rakim, Harris One. You know, just feeling it out and seeing, okay, what's gonna separate me from this dude? What's something that they don't do that I can capitalize on? You know what I'm thinking about? As you just said that, you said Rakim, Harris One, and yourself. All three of y'all came from the crib, man. And, you know, people consider y'all the best three, the top three. And y'all all came from the crib. That's crazy. That's crazy right there. That's because, dope. Yeah, because he came, you know, he came from going at Sham from the crib and got on and got to the crib. And told me all he wanted to do was get in the crib. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that, that's crazy right there. I yeah. do notice that. And I, I do take that in when they say the top three. I'm like, yo, those are three cats that I, that I rock. But it has something to do with Legendize. This is the story of how a film gets made. Starring Josh Rubin. It's his first feature. You were the worst Aya Cash. Can we not do this right now? Oh. And SNL's Chris Red. He's not doing it for a paycheck. Okay, okay. Yeah. I'll see y'all. Join us for the making of Scare Me. A horror comedy from the brilliant mind of Josh Rubin. This year you're gonna make a movie no matter what. Tear down the fourth wall of filmmaking with our crack team of investigators. Don't you come at me and try to get me to spill some stuff. This is Make Cool Shit, hosted by Aaron Heafitz. It doesn't get any better than that. Season one, make a movie. Three, two, one. <laughs> Everywhere you enjoy podcasts. So I guess I'm going to learn the film business. Legendize. At what time 
in your musical career, or did you realize that you crossed over to a heavy female-based audience? Um, I would say probably after it's a big daddy thing. So how does an MC, you know, successfully transition to a female-based audience is almost unheard of. Did you have any influences or did your style change? Well, I mean, you gotta you gotta understand that, you know, from the beginning, I kind of took on this um Fred Williamson Black Caesar persona. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I think it's the type of thing where that's what they um found appealing. I think that's also what separated Kane from the top MCs because he was able to appease both genders of, of the audience. And plus, Kane always had an idea where he wanted to go with it. Like I said, a lot of people just was rhyming and putting words together that rhyme. This nigga was like, yo, I'm a, you know, we making records. He's talking about what he gonna do on the show. You, you get what I'm saying? So he always had like a vision beyond just rhyming on a record. And that kind of elevated me as a producer too. Because as before I just was making beats and just giving them out, oh, this for you, this for you, this for you. Right. Kane like, yo, I want to rhyme off this. And I got this. How could you flip this? I'm like, okay. That's a little different right there because everybody else, I just was giving them, here, you take this, you take that, you take that. Kane always had an idea for every record. Yeah, but then you two magically changed something with Raw because the average tempo of songs around that time was a lot slower Right. Than what Raw was. Well, to be honest, I, I'm gonna tell you, you know, Kane changed the rap. Kane did change the rap. When, when Raw came out, you know, I'm the DJ. I gotta play the records. There was no record to play after Raw. Raw wow. was like the last yeah. record of the night to play because nothing was that tempo, nothing was that speed, nothing had that energy. And a lot of MCs told me, a lot of MCs that people look up to told me they they broke their pen when they heard Raw. It's like, yo, I'm not rhyming no more. A lot of known people that still rhyming to this day that got stations and all that shit was on some old. Yeah, when I first heard this nigga Kane rhyme, yo, I quit. <laughs> yeah, how, I, did, how did you feel about that beat in that tempo? Um, no, I, I knew instantaneously, you know? It was just the vibe. Here I am, R-A-W, a terrorist. Here to bring trouble to phony and seize. I move on and seize. I just conquer and solve another rapper with ease. Cause I'm at my apex and others are below. Nothing but a milliliter. I'm a kilo, second to none. Making MCs run, so don't try to step to me. Cause I ain't the one. And then plus, it was like, it was something that I was going through, you know, mentally as well. You know, where I was, you know, dealing with some issues. We got just rhyming with Biz out. Right. Marley's playing. Mm-hmm. Red, Red Alert is playing. Well, it's the cane in the flesh. Of course I'm fresh. Oh, you thought that I was rotten? Huh, I beg your pardon. To me getting paid and getting busy for together. So a man of my aviance, never. But nobody's booking me for shows because everybody thinks it's Biz Rick. You know what I'm saying? So while I got a song that's playing on the radio, I'm still sitting at home broke. You know what right. I'm saying? And I'm telling Fly Ty, I need to do a song with just me. Now, keep in mind. Right, right, right. Marley ready. We did I'll Take You There, and I think we even did um, This Is For Your Own Concern. Yep. Now, all your MCs, let's talk perfect. When did you get the nerve to think that you can hurt me? I roll on rappers. So me and you, we working. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. right. So me, me and Marley, we working, but... We working behind the scenes. Yeah. The funny shit, he, they didn't even know that he was an artist like that. 
we got we got half an album damn near done. I'm like telling the record company, yo, that nigga's an artist. They're like, nah, he's that's Biz Ryder, man. Shut up, man. I'm like, nigga, he better than all these niggas. Oh, that's oh, <laughs> right, because because that day when you pulled him in the crib. It was still quiet that he right. could spit. We was making so joints. y'all just started. Y'all just kept. So you got you got to understand. Molly didn't come to all the shows like like Ty and Magic did. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, right, right. Molly right. would come occasionally. You know what I'm saying? So I mean, it wasn't the type of thing where you know you know they they knew. You know. Right, right, right. right. And then I'm telling them at the company like, "Yo, this this the next nigga." I'm talking about what you talking about. I'm like, listen to this. Yeah. Listen to this. Listen to this. <laughs> Then all of a sudden, I think it was after that. Then you started DJing with um Shante, and then everybody jumped on the dick. <laughs> right after I started letting them hear the joints, everybody just jumped straight on his dick. Like, yo, girl, right for me, right for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kane, if if you never ran into Biz or you never went into a recording studio or mic booth, what do you think you'd be doing right now? Um. I was on my way to college to take up engineering with Biz. Um, you know, he like, yo, if that's what you want to do, you know, you know, Biz, go ahead. He said, but I, 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 pro- I <laughs> promise wow. you, I promise you, you're going to be a star. Remember what I told you, you know? So I didn't go to college. Mm. I didn't mm. go to college. And, you know, it, everything worked out. That's kind of ill because if you were to end up going to a Delphi University on Long Island, that's where Public Enemy yeah, and Bill Stephanie them. and them had WBAU. So you was you would have been around hip hop anyway. Real talk. So nah. yeah, because they was right at that college too. They yeah. was running Long Island. Yeah, yes, it was. <laughs> What's the most valuable advice you ever received as an artist, and and who gave it to you? Um, I, I received some. Great, you know, solid advice from like um, Jalil, from Houdini, uh, mm. from from Rick James, and both of them wow. were pretty much, you know, basically saying the same thing about you know stuff that happens in the industry, how to watch this, watch mm. that, you know, from the heart. I mean, a lot of people, you know, have, you know, said inspirational stuff. I remember one time having this long conversation with Mister Magic, where he was talking crazy, and then out of the clear blue. He just started dropping jewels. Hmm. But I mean, the main two to stick out would be Jalil from Houdini and wow. Rick James. Yeah, Rick James gave me some too. Rick James gave me the idea to get a, a home studio. Maybe mm. we went out to his house that time. Yeah, in Buffalo. Went to his yeah. house. Up in Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah. Buffalo. And then we went downstairs and I was like, yo, when first we got to the crib, I was like, where's the studio? We went downstairs. I was like, oh, he had a full-blown recording studio in his, in his house. I was like, yeah. yo, this is what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> fuck going to the studio fuck all that dumb shit I'm gonna buy a house and put a motherfucking studio downstairs that's how we gonna get down and that's that's how I got the idea going right up in this crib wow he, that was dope. that was a dope that was I learned a lot from Rick James that that very that weekend we went up there shit that was, it was that shit was banging yeah did Lucy's rap yep you Shante wow. and Rick James on okay, that joint yes yes I remember that well subject matter you looking at her that's crazy. Yeah, Rick James was Rick James was a different person though. That was a different motherfucker. Well, yeah. Hell yeah. Helped us Rick understand Rick a little bit better. Rick James was a funny motherfucker. He was uh, you know who he remind me of? George Clinton. One time I hung out with George Clinton with the Lords of the Underground. 
And, you know, they was they was praying over there. It's like, you want to come pray with us? I was like, yo, I got the, I could, I could let me go pray with them so I could say in my, in, in my lifetime that I prayed with George Clinton and them. That, that was real. <laughs> That's dope. That was real and shit. So what's, what's next for Kane? Is there more acting? Is there more music? I know you did a project with a live band. Um, what's coming down the uh, road for Kane? I have a documentary that I'm filming, and it's almost done. Four paragraphs I manifest, and um, it features everyone from Melly Mel, Grandmaster Kaz, Dougie Fresh, Karis One, um, Eminem, and Jay Z, and we're all talking about lyrics. Yeah, so. It's a hip hop documentary that's really focused on lyrics. And um, you know, and then after that we'll be produced through by Apple. Okay. That's what's up. That's what up. I know we started because I was there at a couple of your shows where you brought on some Juice Crew friends from Radio City Music Hall to the stage in, in New Jersey. And the response was overwhelming. And then the pandemic hit. Any ideas? of a possible a Juice Crew tour in the future? Um, you know, I, I mean, I would love for it to happen. Um, it's funny, you know, to, to see everybody, you know, complaining and arguing like we, like we used to back in the 80s. Right, 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 right. Like so, so much fun. But at the same time, it's like the love and the maturity. It's like, it, it's, it's, it's so beautiful. And I mean, I would love to see it happen. You know, I'm hoping that, you know, is gets well soon. He, he definitely needs to be there. You know, no I think that um, whenever this whole Juice Crew biopic is done, that would be the perfect moment. I think that's the perfect moment for every single member of the Juice Crew to do their own thing, capitalize when that time period when people are talking about you. That's when you need to attack. You know what I'm saying? Right. And right. I Marketing. think that you know, powerhouse names as you know, Marley Marl. Big Daddy Kane, Bismarcky, Roxanne Shante, MC Shan. You know, it's just so much that can be done when, you know, uh, we are in the people face and people are learning about our life, the history, something where you, you say corner the market, the official voice right. of hip hop is on the radio playing hip hop songs. The super producer of that era is the in-house producer of the Juice Crew. Mm. Cause Marley got think, go ahead. Cause Marley got the what? Marley got, <laughs> Marley got the production, and Magic is gonna play the music. That's real. You know, he definitely gonna sell it. Yeah. He's gonna sell it right. You, did you ever think about putting Mister C's name in your group name? Um. Well, in in the beginning, when we first was rocking in the um, early '80s, it was Mister C and Big Daddy Kane. There's even flyers floating floating around. Yeah, that said Mister C and Big Daddy Kane. But um, it was like, you know, when C went on rocking with this dude named Eric D, he was like one of the main cast that threw parties in Brooklyn. Not Eric B, right. Eric D. Like right. David. Eric D. Yeah. yeah. Right. So C became his in-house DJ. And that's when I was pretty much going out on the road with Biz. So, you know, once I came around the Juice Crew, it was really just me. Because, you know, like Marley would tell you, you know, Ty kept a tight knit, you know, as far as like outside. He, Ty really ain't want my ass there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, you know, yeah, he, he, he kept a not tight knit as far as outsiders. You know, C wasn't really around there a lot. Once I got on, then that's when I brought C. I remember one time me and Shan had a show in Brooklyn and Mr. C was there. This is before we even got 
with you. We was doing the bridge in Brooklyn. I was here performing with Shen, but then there was a turntable set over there, and Mr. C was acting like like he kind of wanted it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, he was ready. He was he was like acting like he's trying to go at me and shit. I'm like, yo, who this kid over here? Then I found out later on it was Mr. C. We, we laugh about that to this day, but he he was acting like he wanted it back in the day. Like I'm like, that's the nigga from the radio. I'm I'm outdo him real quick. So <laughs> that was that was probably one of those Eric D parties. Yeah, no doubt, no now, doubt, no doubt. What record did you and Jay Z record at Fresh Gordon's house with Jazz? Um, well, it wasn't a record. It was just a mixtape. Um, oh, the mixtape. Oh, that was the mixtape. Yeah, it was just a mixtape. Like Shirt King came and told me, you know, like, yo, um, Gordy wants you to do a joint with Jazz O. Oh, Shirt King Queens. And while we were there, Jazz said, yo, you, you mind if my, my man rhyme on the joint too? He was like, nah, that's all good. So that's how Jay Z got on. Yeah. Right, right. Ah. Ace the B's and B's the C's. So big daddy one, my bud, my ace. He's on the mic, so dogs this space. Setting it off, letting it off, beginning. Rock till the ending. You never been in the move to groove with the smooth rap lord. Like a pop of juice, rhymes are being poured. And that's how me and Jay Z connected. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, Jay Z used to open up for you. Is that is that what it was? He used to open up for you? Or he used to no, 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 no. He in the middle of this show. Yeah, in the middle. Yeah, he didn't open up for me. Nah, it was like, after, it feels like another one with Patty. Right. And after scoring with Patty and seeing her do outfit changes, I was sitting there like, nobody in hip-hop doing this. So when, I, right. when the tour ended and I went back out on my tour, I called Jay-Z, I called Positive K, and I told him I wanted to go on, on tour with me. And I would do half, half the show in one outfit, introduce right. them, let them freestyle, while um, I'm in the back changing to another outfit. I want y'all to meet some friends of mine, okay? I want y'all to put your hands together for my brothers Jay-Z and Positive K. Put your hands together for Jay-Z and Positive K. Yo, that's big of you right there, because so niggas don't do it, that shit. That's where niggas the entertainer part came yeah. with the on the Kane package. Yeah, yeah. Kane always knew. It was, like I said, more than just rhyming. More than just saying rhymes on stage, walking back and forth. Most it was like a show. I had, he had an idea of everything. Everything he wanted to do, what it was going to be, how are we going to be on stage with this, you know, how many minutes it's going to take me to change in between. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, every time you used to hit the crowd, of course, we used to hear like the, the high-pitched screams right, and right. stuff. It's like, and that was different for the Juice Crew because we was like, you know, you got to think about it. We came out as battlers. We were slaying anything moving. You know, we just came out trying to be seen, known, and heard. So anybody was fair meat back in the days, you know, when the Juice Crew was out. But right. it's like the way you turned it over and, you know, you had the female fans. And, you know, before it was you, I think it was TJ Swan. You get what I'm saying? TJ mm-hmm. Swan, he would come out there and start singing and, you know, singing in his style, and, you know, the girls would be going crazy. And yeah. then, and then I started noticing you getting the girls. I was like, yo, this is incredible. <laughs> and that's when I noticed, that's when I really started noticing that and realizing that Juice Crew was, they was a force to be reckoned with at that point because now you got the ladies screaming, the dudes is already trying to right. be like us. Right, right. The girls are screaming for these cats. What, what more? What more do we get? We got a female rapper that all the guys are salivating over. You set the blueprint. The Juice Crew set the blueprint. No doubt, no doubt. What would you do different? What would you change from your whole adventure in the Juice Crew? 
What would I change in the juice group? Yeah, what would you change? Um, assert myself as a leader in the juice okay, group. Got you. As got opposed you. to like, you know, going off doing my own thing, you know? Got you, got you. You get to a point where, okay, I got a vision. Okay, you don't see it. I think what I should have done was really just assert myself as a leader. You know what I'm saying? And and convince everyone, this is what we need to be doing. This is what you need to be doing. This is where you need to be. That's I think that that's what I should have done. So yeah. was it a challenge for you after getting the recognition from the first album that was solely produced by Marley? Was it a challenge for you on the second album to use different producers and basically like set yourself a little bit apart from the Juice Crew? You know, it's like um, it was one of the type of things where, you know, I, I was doing pretty much what I was doing on the first album. The thing I didn't understand is that, you know, there's a sound. There's a sound that comes from Marley House. Right. You know, it meant the same thing that the actual sample meant, you know, where it's like, you know, you can have a fly sample, but that that hiss, that tape sound, that grit, you know what I'm saying? And I didn't notice the difference until the album was mastered, you know? Uh, and it was it was Easy Mo B that pointed it out. Okay. Because he was like, listen to another victory. Now listen to Woman of Pain. Easy Mo B did another victory. He was like, listen to Smooth Operator. Now listen to Young Gifted and Black. Word. That Marley did. You know, that's when I really realized, you know, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, it wasn't like, you know, oh, what I'm going to do now and nothing like that. In, in all honesty, you know what I'm saying, I feel like it wasn't really necessary. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Because even though it's like so much clearer, what they fell in love with was the grit. You wow. know what I'm saying? From, from Marley drum machine and tape machine. See what I'm saying? That's why okay. I said just important as the beat. You right, know what I'm saying? Because, right. I mean, when you listen to producers like RZA, uh, DJ Premier, Pete Rock, when you listen to them in interviews talking about Marley, that's one of the first things they bring up. Kind of like those goddamn plates that was in the wall at Motown. You know what I'm saying? It's something, you know what I'm saying, that, you know, <laughs> helps the sound. It's something that, that made the sound right, right, different right. than anyone else. Right. So, Marley, how did you feel after single-handedly producing his first album, then he transitions to working with various producers and having a different sound. I felt there was growth. Um, I was so happy to get the fuck up out of Cold Chilling at that point. <laughs> I kind of didn't look back because I was already fucking with Heavy D. Okay. And and I was, you know, we was, we was, we was doing numbers. We was right, doing right, numbers right. at Uptown. Right. So. And that was my first time seeing royalties too. When I got the, after I kind of left the Cold Chilling situation, I got over there and started seeing royalties. You know, I kind of like didn't look back. I was like, yo, that's, 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 you know, I'm, I'm happy to see everybody, you know, in there doing their thing. And I know Kane had it, because Kane had it all the time. So yeah, it wouldn't be a problem for Kane. But a lot of other, the, the other production sunk the ship. It wasn't the Kane side. There was a lot of other shit that happened, like after the Kane, you know, everybody started doing their own albums and then the yeah. ship started kind of, kind of sinking. But I didn't look back. I was already with Heavy D. I was I was with Uptown singing Uptown's kicking it, my nigga. And that's when you moved over to Rush Management, okay? Um, eighty nine. Yeah, and that's about the time. 
because we started dismantling. I, I kind of broke out from the cold chilling. Rush was going with you. And, um, I mean, yeah, Rush, they jumped straight on you, too. They was like, yo, we, we want to fuck with Kane because they knew that you was the crown jewel of the Juice Crew. You know, you was writing Cat's Rhymes. You already had that production. You already had the street credibility. Um, it wasn't a joke. It wasn't no, like, you just sit, standing there walking back and forth saying rhymes like everybody, every fucking body else. You stood out. You stood out. So I believe they snatched you because you was the crown jewel of the Juice Crew. Oh, thank and you. If you yeah, so I, I believe that's why that happened. And, you know, Russell wasn't stupid with that. He was like, yo, if you can't beat him, join him. Get that nigga down with us. <laughs> a Yankees move. <laughs> get, get that nigga down with us because if they create one or two more of these motherfuckers like him, we done. You know what I'm saying? And, and yo, you went over there, you started going on tour, they put you on huge tours, bigger than all the Juice Crew artists. They had you on bigger stages. So I, obviously you had more more record sales because you was seeing, seeing more. They just had you in a different plane they had you in a different light yeah. from the rest of the juice crew you know how they saw the potential yeah it was definitely there because the, kane was a different animal he was a different beast with this what would be something surprising about big daddy kane that you could tell our audience you never told no other show tell us something let us in on the in the world of big daddy kane right now i mean there, there are things that i i, I can think of right now but there's a damn reason why I didn't tell nobody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kane, what makes a legend in hip hop? What makes a legend? If I had to take a guess, I would probably say um, someone that's unique, that did does something that stands out to a big fan base and is able to um, give him state power for a long time. Over over 10 years put you in a legendary status, you think? I mean, nah, you know, I really can't say that because, you know, um, people consider Biggie a legend. What Big did was something that had a hell of an impact that made people feel like he'd been around for maybe 10 wow. years. So, I mean, I, I can't really say 10. You know, I mean, I, I think it's really about, you know, that 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 uniqueness that you have, that people the impact gra- that you make. yeah, that they gravitate to. Why? Why would somebody call you a legend? Some bad motherfucker. <laughs> That's right, and I, I exactly. And what I wanted to say came was in your in your description of what a legend in hip hop is. You just described yourself. Oh, thank you, baby. You are definitely and undeniably a legend, not just in hip hop but a legend in music. Thank you, man. I'm just speaking on behalf of a whole globe right now. We just thank you for your contribution to music and, of course, to hip-hop. And I'm sure that the audience appreciates everything that I'm feeling, and we just want to say thank you. Well, nah, that means the world to, that means the world to me. I truly, truly appreciate it, and I want to thank y'all, brothers, for having me you know, um, you know, on your show, man. I mean, obviously... Me and Ma, we have a lot of history. The importance that this brotherhood played to my career. This this has been great, man. Chopping it up. I look forward to doing something again. As long as we breathing, we 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 achieving, baby. No doubt. So, so you're right. So you're right. Well put. Well put. <laughs> so Big Daddy Kane, 
from BK. On behalf of the podcast, you have been legendized. Yeah. Thank you. Much respect, fellas. Bless up. Right. Bless up, baby. Bless up. All right. Let me get up on out of here, fellas. Peace yes, and blessings peace, on y'all, man. Molly, nice. I love you, brother. No doubt. Love you, too. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. That's what it is. Well, thank you for checking us out. We appreciate you. Next week, we got something real special yeah. for y'all, y'all. Another episode. That might be the season ending right there, but <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. I think it's cool in the we game. We going on hiatus already? Yeah, we going <laughs> on hiatus already. Eh? <laughs> that's what it is. Legendize. Do you still keep in, um, in touch with Scoob and Scrap? Um, I haven't spoken to Scoob in a long time, but um, Scrap, um, yeah, like like to this day, Scrap called me like you know one thirty in the morning, like it's still nineteen eighty seven or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, bro, man, I'm fifty two years old, man. <laughs> like, really, we doing this? Legendized. Legendized.